So there have been times in everybody's life where they come across scenes that they can't believe that they're seeing with their own eyes. And I'm not talking about things in wrestling. I'm talking about real life. Jim, do you have anything that immediately comes to mind that you think of when you think of, wow, I can't believe I actually saw that? Yeah. So one time my brother lives in Syracuse and I was driving to go visit him. This is many years ago. And there was a tractor trailer upside Mm -hmm. down in the ditch. It wasn't on its side. It was completely upside down. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, how fast had this hike had to be going? Or how did he like drive onto the grass where he flipped a tractor trailer upside down? It was crazy. I've been fortunate. I've seen so many things. A fortune is not the right word, right? I've seen so many things I couldn't believe happened in front of my eyes. So I'm a really skeptical person. I believe in fact and science. And so one day I was sitting in my house on my balcony. There's like a little seated area there. I'm sitting there. My neighbor is sitting next to me on his balcony. We're just doing nothing, killing time. You know, just at that time, there's no internet. People played outside, <laughs> sitting on the balcony. <laughs> and this guy parks his car in front of my house and walks away from his car. And I live on a hill that slopes upwards. So the guy parked his car, left the car, went down the street, and the car starts driving uphill out of what? nowhere. And me and my neighbor are looking at each other like, what the fuck is going on here? And the car is about to hit the car in front of it. And it starts turning to the left and heads into the middle of the road. And then the driver suddenly runs back to the car, opens the door with the key, puts the key in the ignition and starts driving it to get control of the car again. And so I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in anything. But that was one instance where I saw something I couldn't believe was happening in front of me. My neighbor looked at me. I looked at him. He just shook his head and went back in his house. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell just happened here? From a human standpoint, like an interaction with another person, I was, I want to say it was in 1998 or 99, something around there. I went to Mike's house. I'd been to Mike's house a handful of times, maybe like six, seven, eight times, something like that. I knew his mother just in passing, you know, hello, how are you? That kind of stuff. I knew his son by that time. And we went out. I'm the designated driver. I don't drink. Don't smoke, don't do any of that stuff, and no drugs or anything. And so everybody trusts that I can drive. So I'm driving, and Mike and everybody's just loaded out of their minds. You can imagine the misfits are in the car. It's <laughs> overloaded with people. We get back from clubbing in Buffalo, and we get back to Mike's house. It must have been like 2 in the morning, because clubs closed at 1. No, back- 4. Oh, 4? Then it must have been 5 in the morning. Yeah. At 1 is Canada. Right, okay. So we get back at 5 in the morning, and we're in Mike's living room. And there's people sitting around the living room. There's all these drugs on the table. And they're just talking about all kinds of stuff. One guy starts doing coke. I don't know if you were too drunk to remember, Mike. But this guy did coke on the dining table. No, sorry, in the kitchen on that dining table, that small circular table. And then... I remember that. I don't remember yes. any... I don't remember drugs all over all the tables. Like, you're making it sound like Scarface. I remember some kid, <laughs> okay. some, kid, some kid that I went to school with did a line on the table. And I never saw it either. So I thought it was crazy, too. So that we go it down. It wasn't exactly like Scarface. No, it wasn't like a drug factory, but <laughs> for a Canadian boy coming from like a totally straight edge, like totally straight edge background, it was a lot. There was weed, and at that time, weed was illegal. There was coke. There was I don't know what else there was, but there was there was a lot of stuff, and it just took me aback. You can imagine people are hopped up, go down to Mike's basement, and they turn up the music like it's louder than the club. It's five in the morning, <laughs> so I'm sitting on Mike's bed. 
and they're playing music and Mike's, I know Mike's drunk. Everybody else is kind of affected somewhere or another. And all you hear is Mike's mom start screaming from upstairs. How dare you? <laughs> and so she comes down the stairs and she's livid. And I've had lots of interactions with her and I don't remember her swearing that much, but she comes down the stairs and you, she goes, you motherfuckers. <laughs> She's like so pissed. Some of us have to work in the morning. Don't you have any fucking respect? And so Mike is like blowing it off. He's like, well, whatever. Right. He's like, okay. And then she goes, get the fuck out of my house. You know, I, I'm the only one who's totally sober. So I get up from the bed and I start walking towards the stairs to go upstairs. Right. Like as soon as I get up, I start walking towards her. She goes, what the fuck are you doing? She goes, you're the only one who's going to stay. Everybody else, get the fuck out. And so <laughs> I couldn't believe, like, after all of that commotion, all of that craziness, she was so rational and so kind and so whatever to know that none of the problem was caused because of me and she let me stay. And I felt so welcomed and loved in that moment of anger. And I couldn't believe, here I am, this Canadian boy from an immigrant family in the house of like typical stereotypical white Americans that I barely knew for a minute. And their parent, like his mom, openly accepted me with loving, like in such a loving way. It really made me feel welcome, but I couldn't believe it was happening. Mike, you've had lots of things happen in that basement or lots of things happen in the house. I imagine there's a whole bunch. Are there any few that stick out to you as you couldn't believe them actually happening in front of you? You know, if I told you, if I told my mother, you made her house sound like an opium den, she may change her mind about you. <laughs> she had no idea what was going on. Right? Oh so. my god! You know, there's a lot of debauchery, honestly. So it's hard to, it's, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to pin down any moment. You, you, you never saw anything. So you saw like no. one kid do a line on the table, and you yeah. heard about a couple of my buddies smoke pot outside, and you made yeah. it sound like it was like a scene from Boogie Nights. Yeah, for a Canadian boy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's the, the, the picture painted is, is a lot more extravagant than what, what really happened. But I mean, you weren't used to much. The stuff that, that, that we saw on a daily. And my mom, you know, put up with a lot of shit. So that's why she came out like that. Yeah. She was a house <laughs> of fire that day. Oh, I, I, she's never, ever said a curse or negative word towards me or around me. So seeing her like that was pretty kind of surprising. She doesn't do that much, right? Oh, no. Okay, so we talked about seeing things that you could believe in real life. And where I'm going with this is talking about things that you saw in wrestling that you couldn't believe happened. Right? And I think most people from our generation would say the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart match, the screw job, the famous Montreal screw job is a thing that they saw that they couldn't believe. But right. what sticks out in your mind as some of the things in wrestling that you saw but couldn't believe? Mike? Foley getting chucked off the cage is pretty crazy. The hell in the cell, right? Oh yeah, so much. It's it's almost like the debauchery. There's just so much now. It's like hard to. There's just so many that you can really think of. But the screw drop was probably the best. Now that I think of it, mm-hmm. that that was probably the best. That was that was one that like shocked the hell out of me. Yeah, the historical perspective of that, right? Like it's still to this day, like documentaries about it are still interesting. Like it's it was that shocking. Yeah, that that was the craziest one. I think you probably nailed that one right right there. Jim, how about you? For me, it's a like obviously that one. But for me personally. It's Honky Tonk Man winning the Intercontinental title because I was there and there was TV tapings and there was no Internet. So I'm trying to tell everybody at school that Honky Tonk Man won the Intercontinental title. And they're like, 
that guy's a bum. Like there's no way he won. And I'm, and there's no, there's no way to give him verification. So like I look like a doomsday prophet on the corner trying to tell people that he won the intercontinental title. I remember hearing about that, that next day because I had a buddy that went and he knew I loved the honky talk man. So he called me and I thought he was, I thought he was bullshitting me. I I didn't think he was even supposed to be on the card, but then I didn't write. They did like four hours of tapings. My brother was so mad because he told me he would take me to wrestling and he didn't know it was a TV taping. He had, he brought me home. I don't know. It was like, 11 or whatever and i had school in the morning and my dad was mad at him and he's like i didn't know it was the best yeah that was big i i remember in the lunchroom hearing who told me i remember thinking oh like, get the fuck out of here yeah, that that was great i wish i could have been to that one yeah i think there are lots of things like if we think about heel turns or title victories or stuff like that where we kind of like were shocked especially as young kids right we didn't perceive that title change to happen i think even jim for you at WrestleMania six, that might have been like one of the most shocking moments. Warrior actually pinned. Oh, for Hogan, sure, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, that was yeah, that was crazy. And like the like the pop for the missed leg drop was as big as the pop for the pin. Right, but I think there are a few times in wrestling where you see something that you know while you're seeing it, you're never gonna forget. Like the Earl and Dave Hebner twin referees and Hogan getting screwed, right? Like when you're watching it as a kid on Saturday night's main event, the emotions that you feel are like, oh my God, what the hell's happening? And you're beside yourself, but you know you're seeing something special. And so the reason why I wanna talk about seeing something special is this past weekend, I went to watch a bomb match, not even a bomb match, a fucking rocket match at the Sky High FMW show this past week. and it blew my fucking mind. I've never been that entertained at a match ever in my life where the wrestling quality, I think the greatest match was probably a one-star match. But I've never <laughs> been so entertained in my whole fucking life. It was awesome. I don't know if you've seen or if you recognized what was going on in FMW recently. They're trying to up the ante. Did they we established a promotion as FMWE and they do these bomb and death matches. I went online just by chance. We started doing the podcast and I thought, okay, you know, it's good to go see a show. So I have something to talk about. And so I looked at the poster and the poster shows Onita pointing to the sky and it says, how far will this rocket fly from? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and so I look at the infographic and the infographic is, it shows a ring with like all the barbed wire around and it shows all these explosives. And it says, this is a death match. And then on the right side, it says, this is a rocket match. And it shows a picture of a rocket fucking flying into the ring. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, that's great. <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay, so I go, I have to fucking see this. What the fuck? Where is this? So I go and I research for tickets and the event is walking distance from my house. So I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. Ideal. So, all right, I'm going to buy tickets. So I buy tickets. First of all, Buying tickets for this show is a unique experience. So they totally cut everybody out of the ticket game. You have to email FMW directly, directly to Onita's personal account to get (laughs) tickets reserved in your name. And then when you get to the facility, you pay cash at the door. No commissions, no nothing. And so they totally cut everybody out of the game. I get into the arena. There's probably about... I want to say about six, seven hundred people there, less than a thousand. And the arena is in an abandoned market. So they had this market that they used to use. I'm trying to think of what you could kind of guess. It's like a, an old style 1940s or 50s bazaar, like a flea market or something like that. 
but it's been condemned. And so they use that facility for the matches. And then when you go there, the building's condemned. So there's no working bathroom. There's no running water. There's like, yeah. there's nothing. Yeah. To go to the bathroom, you have to leave the, the facility, go across the street to the supermarket and go to the supermarket. <laughs> That's amazing. It is like the lowest dive of dive situation you could ever imagine, but it fits that theme so well, so well. Okay. So I get into the building. The entire arena is only like 10 rows deep. That's it. So everywhere you're sitting, you're close to the ring. It doesn't matter where you're sitting. The cheapest seats are 60 bucks, then 80 bucks, then 100 bucks, and 150. 150 is front row. And I'm in the fifth row. And even in the fifth row, when an explosion goes off, I'm like flying backwards and moving back. It, it was, it's way too close. You, you feel you see everything from anywhere in the building. Get in, sit down. I get there and they say every single match is going to be an explosive match. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so you think to yourself, like, like how, how can this be entertaining, right? Like every match is going to be some bomb kind of bullshit going on. So like you're going to be sick of it. But actually every match was better than the previous match. There were only six matches. Most of the matches were you know, single or tag. And then they had like one big explosion to finish the match. So you had uh, two girls singles matches and then you had a tag match and then you had uh, one other match and then the main event. And so how they handled these explosions is to build up the audience tension is they have a baseball bat in the ring. And then on one of the corner posts, there's a button. You have to go to the corner, touch the button, and then the baseball bat is active. And then when you hit the guy with a baseball bat, it explodes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so if you hit the person with the baseball bat without touching the button, the baseball bat doesn't explode. It's just like it's just a baseball bat. And so the explosions are fucking incredible. I can't even tell you how cool it is to see that happen in front of you. One of the spots for one of the finishes was the girl hit the buzzer to make the baseball bat active. And as she goes to swing the baseball bat at her opponent, the other girl throws a super kick and kicks the bat and the bat explodes in both of their faces. Oh, it was awesome. It was a great, <laughs> great spot. And then, of course, whenever the explosion happens, that's the finish. Like in every match, you know, they're building, 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 explosion, finish, one, two, three, it's over. None of the matches are long. They go pretty quickly. The first five matches happen i would say within an hour within an hour you're done and now it's time for the main event that's way shorter than i thought you were going to say yeah yeah it was super short and then after that they have an intermission to hook up the ring so they remove all the ropes make it all barbed wire all the way around and then after all the barbed wires set up then they hook up the explosives they set up the rocket they do all this stuff okay then the match starts <laughs> the match starts and i don't know who set up the explosives but the first instance of somebody going into the ropes the explosion is so powerful and so loud it knocked out all of the electricity in the entire building <laughs> okay so, so <laughs> which is probably post, shoddy at best to begin with right, right right and so they go into the ropes and it goes <laughs> whatever lights were on in the facility are like dead now all the electricity everywhere in the building is all gone and so now none of the things work because the electricity is all dead in the building. So oh. they try to activate the bombs and nothing's activating. They're like trying to make the baseball bat explode. It's not exploding. Nothing's working. 
they're like, what the fuck do we do now? You can see they're like panicking. And so Onita goes into the corner, tries to activate the rocket. The rocket's not activating. And so the guy on the other team, his name's uh, Abdullah Kobayashi, he turns Onita around. He starts slapping Onita and he starts hitting the button. And in English, he screams, no rocket, no rocket, no rocket. <laughs> Everybody's like dying of laughter. We know, like everybody in the crowd knows it's just not going to be what had been advertised right and the guys in the ring are feeling it more than the guys in the crowd right so the guys in the crowd we've sure. seen lots of explosions and at the show's been really good until this point and so they, they decide okay well, fuck well, let's go outside the ring they go outside the ring they do a whole bunch of work in the crowd the guys are blading they're a bloody mess get back into the ring and there's nothing to do they, they can't do anything so they <laughs> just go to the finish okay they go to the finish and then onita gets a clean three count okay Get the three count. They talk shit about the other guys. Like, you know, you guys are weak. You guys are strong. Like a typical heel face kind of discussion. And then the heels go back to the dressing room. As they go back to the dressing room, and I guess, my guess is, somebody had replaced all the fuses in the, like, the main power breaker. So everything reset. And then suddenly the electricity goes back on while the guys are back in the dressing room. And Onita's still in the ring. And the mic just suddenly turns on. His music goes on because they, I guess they were trying to play it. And so instantly he goes, get those guys back out here. The match <laughs> is already over. They come back from the back. They're a bloody mess. They're like drained from having the match. And then they restart the match and the crowd is losing their mind. It's almost as if they planned it. You know what I mean? Like they didn't plan it, but it came off as if it was intentionally perfect. done that way. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And then uh so they go to the finish. Okay, so they go to the finish. <laughs> And they signal for the rocket. And this is Japan, where English isn't really, even today, used in a big way. There's English signs, and some people can speak English. But English is kind of like, I don't know, a specialty language, let's say. Like in, in America, you have sometimes things are said in Spanish, and it has a kind of a cool feeling to it, right? So the same way, they hit the rocket button, and I don't know who they got to commentate it, but it was like one of those old... 1940s or 1950s warning video messages <laughs> and so nice. this old guy comes on and he goes five four three two one and then this fucking rocket i, I didn't even know how to explain it so i looked to the right of me and they've hooked up a line and so the rocket is going to fly across this line. So it's not going to go off course and it's going to end up hitting the corner post. You see the, the rocket's engines turn red. It looks like a real, it's a real rocket. It starts flying towards the ring and it's making that rocket noise like that. And it hits the corner post. And that explosion was probably the biggest explosion I've ever seen in any fireworks exhibition anywhere in my life. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was incredible. Incredible. You have to see it to believe it. And everybody's reaction in the building is the same. As the rocket's coming to the ring, everybody's like, ah, ah, ah. (laughs) And then as the rocket hits and starts exploding, everybody's like, ah. And then after the explosion, the whole crowd, everybody's laughing. Everybody's like, ha, 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 ha. So you've got all this roller coaster of emotions of like fear, surprise, laughter that happened for almost every explosion but that end explosion was outstanding i've never seen anything so entertaining in my life 
And I highly recommend if you ever get a chance to watch a bomb match, especially like a rocket match or an exploding <laughs> death match, don't worry about who's on the card. Just go. And this week's main event is actually a bomb match, an exploding bomb death match, right? Between Sasuke and Onida. Before we get into the details, what'd you think, Mike? Yeah, it was good. Jim? It was good. The, dra- the drama, the drama at the beginning in the helicopter mm. and the, and the drama in the end where like Onida's like thinking that Sasuke's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 I guess because because kayfabe wasn't as broke hmm. as it is now right like like they really sold the shit out of that yeah the copter ride was crazy it was amazing uh, you know we talked a few weeks ago about good ring entrances that's one of the best in the match a couple of things first of all just to put this into perspective for you this is six months after the super j cup where sasuke loses in the final wow he went from super j cup main event the bomb match with Onida in six months. That transition is pretty amazing. Then this is the second ever exploding bomb death match with a, like the whole ring exploding. There had been other matches with barbed wire exploding, but the first match was Onida and Funk, which was 18 months before this. And this is the second one. And this was held in Iwate, which is like the central region for Michinoku Pro. So Sasuke is like the hometown favorite. But that's the way this is designed and built but actually you get to see how over onita is like he's so over just by looking at his ring entrance you can (laughs) see how much people love him even compared to sasuke in his own home area it's fantastic the level of support or emotional response he generates from the japanese audience okay Tarek, i want to ask you like do Mm -hmm. you think that's because he comes off as an everyday guy and he's more relatable to the whole of Japanese people. Like, what makes him so over? Yeah, you've hit it right on the head. He's like, I don't want to say the an example of a failed person who succeeded in life, but he's clearly an example of somebody who doesn't have an education, who faced tough set of circumstances, but through his dedication and on hard work to never give up, he's prevailed. And that's why he garners the respect of the Japanese audience, not because of his skill. There are lots of people out there who feel like he's a good representation of the fighting spirit. Like no matter how broken down you are, your knees are all shot up. You don't have any kind of education and no, nobody wants to accept you, but you make your own way. Gotcha. A description for Nick Gage right there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Because I remember a couple episodes back, you asked uh, who's the attraction. When when you were describing Onita, you made me think of Nick Gage. Uh, now it makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, that's, that's why you got the Nick fucking Gage. Everybody's yelling Nick fucking Gage when he comes out. People are losing their minds. They just love the guy. He's like that. I see. So then it's not unexpected to see the audience response at GCW to him as just the same as Onita's entrance here at this event here in Michinoku Pro take out the ramp if he didn't have the ramp he'd be getting mobbed by people too to be honest with you i think that getting mobbed by the people it looks so much cooler than being on a ramp and having people cheer for you right yeah for sure okay so we talked about this being six months after the super j cup 
The second thing is, this match happened almost exactly 27 years ago. 27 oh years God, ago. insane. Wow. I feel so old. I remember right. when this happened. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to it. So we get to the match. As you mentioned, Sasuke flies in on a helicopter, which is cool. They both walk to the ring. Sasuke is not really hounded by the people. They cheer for him and they think of him as a hero, but he doesn't get the welcome that Onida gets. Onida can barely get to the ring. First of all, that was awesome. They get in the ring and we talk about two things every week. The announcers and we talk about the ref. This match did not need commentary at all. No. And the ref was great. Talk about ref bumps. He went flying. <laughs> every time. Every oh time. God. He was yeah. awesome. He was excellent. He sold every explosion, every scene where he was supposed to be making it look realistic. He did a great, great job. Great job. Yeah, I but there a couple of times I thought he was dead, like for real. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that struck me as really ridiculous was before the guys start the match, He's doing a body check. This is a fucking exploding bomb <laughs> deathmatch. What the fuck are you checking for? Yeah, right. So, yeah, like, look at the guy brings a weapon to the ring. So what? The ring's totally. a weapon. Right. <laughs> okay, and then there are a couple of things on the screen. Jim, what did you think of the ref? I thought he was great, but like, like, a, like once or twice, I was like, all right, get up. Like, like I understand what you're selling here, but like, I, I think that was my perspective going in. But now that I heard you talk about the match. And being there live, I don't, I don't know now. Like maybe I'm just going to shut up about that. It's hard to explain how powerful the feeling of the explosion is on your body. Cause you go to a fireworks show and you're far away from the fireworks. And when you hear that boom, sometimes you feel the reverb hit you, but it's not like it's five feet and 10 feet in front of you. When it's five or 10 feet in front of you, it jolts you. And so everybody in the audience shakes. You shake. You, you can't help but shake. And so. I think that selling, the initial sell is kind of natural, but then of course they oversell it and he may have oversold it, but it fits so well with the level of explosives here. They wrote on the screen in Japanese at the bottom, there are 200 volts of electricity. I don't even know what that means. 200 <laughs> volts of electricity with 80 explosives strapped to each side of the barbed wire. So on the north side of the ring, there's 80 explosives. On the south side of the ring, there's 80 explosives. Then, after the explosion goes off on the first one, it says when the ring explodes, the size of the explosion is going to be eight times larger than what you've seen on the barbed wire sites. And oh so, my God. yeah, it's like, <laughs> the level of explosives they prepared here, this match had to be done outside. And then I think commentary would have ruined this. Jim, you agree? Yeah, I don't, I don't see where like it would have added anything. Like it, like there's a, there's a certain suspense factor when there's no commentary, right? Like, right. I mean, that's that's how I felt about it. In my own head, I'm saying like, oh, my God, or holy shit, or what the fuck? Like, it's self-commentary as I can see. We talk about, can we talk about the point where I said holy shit out loud while I was watching it? Can we? Yeah, I, can I, we, I, can, I can guess right away. But can ahead. we talk about the Sasuke special over the fucking barbed wire? What the fuck? Yeah, did he hit that at all? It's how like he hit ground. He didn't hit it full on like you normally right. would. But why are you even trying that spot? Yeah, on that one, I thought he missed him, and I thought he hit the ground, but maybe he did get him a little bit. He got but him a little. The courage, Nuts. fucking, yeah, outstanding. It might have been, of all the matches we've seen thus far, it may have been the most courageous effort at executing something I have ever seen. There's just no think, reason Mike? for There's no reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that that's a great spot. But there were a lot of other great spots as well. Any others stick out to you, Mike? Oh my God, bro! At the end, that thunder was it the thunderfire first one. 
I thought he was going to cripple him. And then he, <laughs> he gave him another one. But the first one was just brutal. Right. It was very good. The first one was very good. That's how he was like, at the end, he's like reviving Sasuke. He's pretty much dead. Sasuke's dead. He, yeah. he carries him out. He gives him the, the Jinsei. That was cool. Yeah, that was great. The ending, the finish was excellent, excellent. And so, okay, so there's a couple of things that struck me as unusual that might not have struck you. When I see Onida in this match, this is the exact same clothing outfit as his Fire Pro character. Yes. I, I was like, oh, that's where they picked this up from. And so I felt that I felt that way with the ref. Like when the ref was taking those bumps and the way he was moving, I'm like, oh, yes. that's what the ref does in the bomb match. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right to me. The building up of tension that they had in this match was outstanding. Normally, yes. side headlock, I throw you into the ropes, and the slides, it's not that they're executed so well. It's just the amount of nervousness and tension in the so audience. Real. Yeah, it's so real. The announcers would have killed that. Right. Agreed. So th- that was the first thing that stuck out to me as being great. Not necessarily what happened in the match, but what didn't happen or the anticipation they built was outstanding. Outstanding. The other thing that was really cool was, I don't even know if you picked up on it, and I think it's really minor. He throws Sasuke into the ropes, and Sasuke bounces off and flies around like like it's nobody's business, right? And the, the explosions are going off. But when Onita takes the rope bump, he stays in the rope bump. He always does that. He stays yeah, right that. there, oh, and he takes it all, and you can see the smoke coming off of his back and his hair. It looks so cool. I can't remember. I think Onita goes into the like the left side of the ring. There's like a mat there that explodes. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but that explosion let off a mushroom cloud. That's a pretty sensitive image to show in Japan. Oh, right? like, yeah. The bombs going off in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and seeing the photos of that big mushroom cloud. And so when you see a guy go into that and that mushroom cloud goes up in the sky like that, it invokes a certain kind of fear that's hard to explain, I think, to the American audience. We look at it as an explosion, but they look at it as like death. That hit me pretty hard after being here for such a long time. Did you pick up on that, Mike? No. All right, I didn't think so. It's hard, I think, for Americans to get that sensitivity about that. Jim, how about you? Yeah, no way. I completely missed that, and that's that's probably purposeful, right? Give the give how how dangerous the match is, right? Exactly. And then at the very end, the finish kind of strange, right? Like it's going great. The explosions are great. What do you think of the finish, Mike? Not after the pin, but the pin itself. What do you think about that sequence? Well, the first one was really bad. It seemed like he could have killed him. He dropped him right. on his head and neck. And, right. and then, you know, the second one was a little bit more. He, he kind of let him let him go a little bit. It's believable. Right. But he pins him with two seconds before the ring explodes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. In terms of a booking choice, I don't know if I go for the finish before the explosions or after the explosions. It seemed really strange that they finished the match two seconds before the ring's about to explode. That's a super jib. Right. They could have stopped the explosions there, right? What do you think, Jim? I think, I think the booking choice for that is you, uh, you want, you don't want to have a double knockout, which if you're saying that this match is going to be eight times and blah, 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 mm-hmm. somebody, somebody has to win, I think. And I think that's why they did it like that because the ending where Sasuke is dead, not dead is the actual finish. Agreed. I don't know if you realize this. Onida pins him. Then the explosions are still about to go off, and Onida does something that makes you understand why he's a hero. He grabs the ref, 
pulls the ref down and protects both the ref and Sasuke as the bombs go off. That little yeah. gesture is what makes him a hero. So he was willing to take the brunt of the explosives to protect these two guys. That's the storytelling here. I, I don't know if you picked up on that. Did you get that, Mike? Yeah, they tried to emulate that in, in uh, AEW with a bomb match. <laughs> How did it go off? Well, Eddie tried. Eddie Kingston tried to save uh, Moxley, and he laid on him, and, and the the bomb didn't go off. They were like a bunch. Of, they were like about like six or seven sparklers. So, so it made a lot of. It got yeah. a lot of negative attention for it. Yeah, it was supposed like, to be huge, and it was nothing. Uh, he has like six kids standing in the in the front row with sparklers. <laughs> and poor Eddie's laying on yeah. top of uh, Moxley, you know, selling it like it's the Fourth of July out there. Uh, much, you know, dead on him. That I, but I think that idea of the storytelling is clever. It's uh, sometimes oh, it the technology. Is. Yeah, the technology just lets you down, right? Like you have to hope it works. Yeah, Jim, what do you think? Yeah, I thought I thought overall, like it was like I can't believe how much smoke was in the ring and for how long it was in the ring after right. all the explosions happened. I'm like, oh man, like like is this ever gonna get blown away by the wind or anything, or is it just gonna <laughs> sit there? <laughs> To be honest with you, I've seen lots of bomb matches, but I don't think I've ever seen anything that big ever since even. Like, it was excessive. Agreed. Definitely excessive, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you'll feel cheated that the the finish was a little bit early, like a little early or a little bit unusual. But the entire presentation here, if we're talking about presentation of a match, of all the matches we've seen, Kobashi and uh, Misawa was a spectacle in terms of athletic ability. Orange Cassidy was a spectacle in terms of like coolness and humor. And like each, each of the matches we've seen thus far have been unique in their own way, right? But this match, the production of this match, 27 years later still, it's fantastic, right? Yeah. It's a movie. You're watching a movie. Yeah. I, I love that. And I wonder why we haven't seen more of this type of demonstration or presentation in matches ever since. Any thoughts, Jim? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think like, unless you're going to do, I, first off, I don't think that, uh, the bomb matches are as recognized here as they were in that time in Japan. Like you, like you had a, they had a certain aura to them. They didn't do them all the time. And like, I think they were trying to bring that back. We were talking about AEW and I think that failing killed any chance of that ever happening on a big scale. Okay. All right. Let's get into our next segment. Who the fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that guy? I'm coming for my revenge. <laughs> and I have this week in Who the Fuck is That Guy? We have eight rounds. My guess is that by the sixth round, you should get it. But until okay. the sixth round, I think I have you guys. Okay, so Jim, you won. Mike, you might not get a chance. So here we go. <laughs> Round one. Body snatcher. No, nothing. Round two, Mike. QT pie. No. Round three. Killer blonde. Nope. Revenge is sweet. Round, <laughs> round four. Mercenario number three. Oh, for Christ's sake. 
<laughs> I'm probably glad Jim didn't get this one. I have no idea. Round five. The Zodiac. Oh, that's Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. So wait, Brutus Beefcake was also the Zodiac, but this is somebody else. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, Mike, here's your chance. Mike, are you ready? I hope. Rad Radford. I should know this. Yes, you I should. Know. No. Jim, Madonna's boyfriend. Uh, Louis Piccoli? Louis Piccoli. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you should, Mike, that was a gift. It was Damn. in front of you. Yeah, you had that. Oh, I, holy yeah. shit. Holy yeah. cow. How dare, how dare you use a gimmick that I know is something else? <laughs> I know. I got, when I went through the list, I was like, oh, if I put the Zodiac first, they're both going to go for Brutus Beefcake. So, uh, all of his characters. The Body Snatcher. Cutie Pie. Killer Blonde. Mercenario number three. The Zodiac. Rad Radford. Madonna's Boyfriend. And Louis Spicoli. Wow, I thought he had that many. It didn't seem like he was around that long. Yeah, I'm surprised too. That Radford one, man. I I know I heard the name, but I couldn't put it with a face or, yeah. He was in the WWE or WWF as Rad Radford. Jim, would you have had it there? No. Oh, you wouldn't have had Rad Radford. I would not have. All right, so who the fuck is that guy? Jim, how many in a row is that? Four? Three, I think. Mike, you had a chance this week. Next week. I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you know who's on the roster? The next segment this week is a new segment entitled The Roster. To make this fair, I thought that I should pick a roster that I'm sure both of you are very, very well informed about. So I've picked for this week's first episode of The Roster, 1997 ECW. So these are guys who worked in one match or more. There are a total of 35 different wrestlers <laughs> on the roster. In the early stages, you should be fine. Going to get down to the nitty gritty. So, Jim, you've been on a streak with uh, who the fuck is that guy? So, Mike, we'll start with you. The roster. Go ahead. Round one. Mike Dudley. Correct. Jim. Tommy Dreamer. Correct. Mike. Baba. Correct. Jim. Um, Sandman. Correct. Mike. Devon. Correct. Jim. Little Guido. Correct. Mike. Tracy Smothers. 1997 ECW. Official roster. Tracy Smothers is incorrect. Oh! He joins in 1998. Oh man! I'm surprised you guys both missed Sabu and RVD. They're like the mainstay at that time. I think. I think what happens is, is when you're when somebody else says something, it triggers matches or memories in your head and takes you away from staying on course.
All right, and in this week's this or that, considering this week we talked about the exploding death match, in this week's this or that, death matches or barbed wire matches, Mike. You mean exploding matches or barbed wire? You're right. Probably barbed wire. It's pretty nasty, but it is it's pretty good. I like it. Jim, I'm also a barbed wire guy because I think that. There's less of a chance of the shock, like the shock factor is getting carved open, right? Like in a right. barbed wire match. Whereas with, with the bomb, like timing's really important. Like you had a really good time at those matches, but like if something doesn't go off or something goes poorly, mm-hmm. like, like it takes all the wind out of it. Like they were able to recover at the show you went to, but if right. it goes poorly, like, like you're saying those stars are a one match, a one star match. So yeah. if, if it doesn't work out or doesn't go according to plan, it's a zero star match. Like the AEW match, they had a, the, the match itself between Moxley and Omega was a really good match. It was one of the better ones. There's actually a pretty solid amount of wrestling. And there was, you know, they, they had their tense moments. They took some good barbed wire spots. But in the end, everybody remembers the, the big fizzle. So because I, I just recently went to these death matches, the bomb exploding matches, I can't tell you how satisfying <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm a freak, but how satisfying <laughs> it is to see something blow up. I'm not even violent, but like when you see an explosion, a real explosion in front of you, there is nothing that satisfying because it takes you through a roller coaster of emotions from start to finish. Like when you see barbed wire going across somebody's head, it's fear. And shock, right? But yeah. but with an explosion, it's trepidation, like, oh my God, this is about to explode. Oh my God. And you brace for impact. Then the impact happens. You scream like a little girl. And then after <laughs> that, everybody around you, together with you, starts laughing because the reaction we all had was so ridiculous. It, that kind of roller coaster of emotions is unparalleled, and I'm bomb match all day long. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out. 